Hey, 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 podcast world. What'd you think of that, Lee? <laughs> I did a little well, different I, today. You know, I just never know what it's going to be, but no, you it don't. wasn't what I expected. I, you don't. My goal is to keep you on your toes. I expected high. I, I expected high energy, and I got mm-hmm. the opposite. Mm-hmm. Well, that's okay, though. It's the FNO InsureTech podcast team again, coming to that's you right. on Podcast Friday. It is. Happy Podcast Friday. Rob Beller. Talking to you from Sacramento. And Lee Boy talking to you from Waco, Texas. Wow, the home of Magnolia. Yeah. And we, we're here today with a really cool guest and kind of continuing our exploration of InsureTech accelerators, Mr. Joe Kurgis from Generator. Yeah, Joe's going to be a good conversation today. We're going to get to learn all about what he does with uh, Generator, and then we'll get to learn about maybe another couple of uh, ventures that he's a part of, I hope. And then a lot of our conversation will, I assume, go to OnRamp with the uh, conference that's coming up in, in April. Right. And that's really what made us reach out to Joe was the OnRamp conference. And for those of you who don't know, check it out. I believe it's onrampconference.com. The OnRamp conference is an InsureTech, one-day InsureTech intensive festival that comes to it from all directions of the ecosystem and we ensure you check it out. Uh, I'm sure Joe will want to talk about that today, as well as uh, Generator, his company that he founded in general. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, me too. So as my friend Lee Boyd likes to say, without further ado, <laughs> let's go into our interview with Mr. Joe Kurgis from Generator. We are here with our guest today, a very special guest coming to us from Wisconsin, I believe, Joe Kurgis from Generator. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. It's nice to talk to you. Was I right? Are you in Wisconsin today? I'm in beautiful Wisconsin where it's sunny and it's somewhere in the 40s, so it's for us a successful day. Okay. Probably not for long. Yeah. So, Joe, let's start by having you uh, give a quick introduction to Generator, the company that you co-founded, 30 seconds or a minute or two on what Generator is and what you guys do. Absolutely. So we founded Generator seven years ago, and our mission is we want to be the best platform for a community to invest into its best and brightest. And a shorthand way of, of putting our mission is locals investing in locals. And to support our mission, we built a store with four products. The first product and the one that shares our brand, and frankly, because it's all we thought we'd ever build, was our accelerator. So we built the Generator Accelerator, which is a a venture fund that operates through a 12-week accelerator model. And we've run over 15 of these cohorts in the last seven years where we get kind of three windows, a recruiting window. So we're currently getting about 1,000 startups that apply for five startup investments. Accelerator window where we invest community, mentorship, network, experience, social proof, in addition to financial capital in exchange for 6 to 7% of the companies. And work with them to help them advance as far as they could, hopefully in the course of a year during those three months. So it's very concierge. And it's very, hopefully it's hyper-efficient in terms of identifying what resources the founders need to create a stock market increase of two or three or four X, and then um, using our network to try to capture that advantage. We also built out three other products. So we have a a G-Beta product where we work with universities and corporations to help increase the quality and quantity of new startups in a community, as well as corporate group, Project North, where we have 48 corporations that pay $20,000 apiece that we're working with to help them advance through innovation, venture capital, and M&A. 
and that's what houses, frankly, the on-ramp conference, which I anticipate we'll be talking more about, where we have an on-ramp insurance event around InsureTech in, in just a few weeks. And then finally, we have a culture piece where we run an accelerator for musicians and artists. So it's a lot of fun. All in all, we're well over 30 employees. We're in eight states in Canada, and it's been a lot of fun. It's very meta. We're a startup that works with startups. So there's always a lot to chew on, and it's, it's incredibly applied and experiential learning. That's great. You have some really cool things. One of the ways that I came familiar with you was through the on-ramp and your on-ramp program of conferences, as well as Project North, which I want to talk about in a little while. But let's just uh, get a little background on you. You're an attorney, right? Yeah, I try to hide that. <laughs> I, I outed you. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's our, I mean, it's a true fact, right? So I got I to gotta live with it. But I went through law school. I grew up in a family of public servants, so I thought that, that was what I was supposed to do. So in my mind, that meant going to law school and, and was a federal law clerk for two years. Like The coolest thing I did when I was a federal law clerk, I did a lot of the predicate work for um, some of the key witnesses in the El Chapo trial. So I got to, if you ever want to have a podcast about Mexican drug cartels, I could fulfill that as well. But we worked on that for two years. And then went to a law firm and, and really got a sense for what venture looked like in everywhere America and how it is that communities were or frankly were not investing into their own future and what it meant to really have a, you know large pools of capital concentrating in just a few zip codes and how much of a change that meant for the next 20 or 30 years of American capitalism and a whole bunch of other American fabric issues and wanted to be a part of changing the dialogue in a way that I thought might be helpful for my community. And that was the sort of mission-oriented end of the story as it went in sequence. But I had a chance to get some groups together to help form Generator. And my co-founder, Troy, and I, you know, working on it for the last seven years. And no one said it'd be easy. No one said it'd be this hard. It's, it's a lot of work, but we, we also have a ton of fun. So uh, we're grateful for it. Well, I think it's an interesting intersection of commerce and community service. You said it well. So it's kind of in your familial DNA to serve your community. It sounds like you guys are very community focused and you care about what goes on there and harboring future commerce for your little regional communities. Yeah. So it's, it's been interesting to see that grow from, you know, where we started in Milwaukee and Madison. And now as we've grown across over these dozen cities, you see the similarities and the parallels and how much of the discussion resonates in Indianapolis and Minneapolis and Cincinnati and Detroit. And you realize how much we all had in common and how much that shared sense of purpose as well as that shared economy of scale can be used to benefit each of us in a way that if we were disaggregated, it wouldn't be possible. So it's been really interesting approaching the challenge of being a for-profit solution to a for-profit problem and then doing it in a way that you know is operating in multiple markets. There's offered a lot of unique perspective and I know it's benefited us and also challenged us continually. But I think the part that the job that's been the most inspiring is you see all these incredibly bright and creative people every three to six months, and you, you realize just how much capacity every one of our communities has and how much of a responsibility that we have as investors in them to make sure that they reach their full potential. So it's a topic I love talking about and something that's been a really big part of our day-to-day -day activity. Yeah, I love that. I love the part about locals investing in locals. I think that's a really neat thing. You talked about the newest venture, it seemed like, was actually investing in musicians. Is that what I heard? Yeah, so uh, we created a program called Backline in Milwaukee and Fellowship.Art. And Backline focuses on accelerating musicians and Fellowship.Art on accelerating visual artists. And it's been incredibly rewarding. And getting a chance to work across these different creative groups, you realize it's really surprising how much of what they do is so similar to what a startup founder would engage in and taking an idea in their mind and expressing it to create something larger than themselves. That DNA really is, is unique to creativity much more than it's unique to genre. 
And I think that's been fun to see. The, obviously, there's different challenges in each component of it. But the part that at the end of it, across all three that we really try to reach is that they feel like we're the best partner in helping them pursue what their passion is. And so much of it feels the same across those three different categories. It's it's also fun because then you have art around and music around. And it's got such a different engagement with the community. But it's it's been a lot of fun. And I think, to my knowledge, we're the only accelerator to go beyond serving startups. So we're enormously proud of how much that's differentiated us and how much it's accentuated our community-oriented mission. I was going to say that I've never, I mean, I've heard of tech accelerators, right? And, and retail accelerators, but not art accelerators. I mean, obviously you're not doing it for an enormous, you know, return ratio on your investment, but I think it's a wonderful and important idea. I've been to Milwaukee. Milwaukee has a rich arts tradition, right? You have a magnificent art museum there. Yeah, we have the College Five. The one that you'll have to see next time you come, the Sydney James, who's one of the country's leading muralists, is going to be doing. There's a building that burned down in a riot in Milwaukee, unfortunately, about two years ago, and it's been resurrected. And it's a, a community almost nervous system in terms of how important it is to the neighborhoods to rehabilitate and sort of rebrand what we hope to present as a city going forward. And she'll be doing Sydney, our, our fellowship at our alumni, will be creating a mural for the building that I think we're really proud of just the initial concept drawings that she's presented. And we want to, as a part of that program, for example, have all the artists that go through every cohort identify a, a community engagement art project. So it's it's our way of sort of trying to give back to the city. And we're hoping to extend that to our other markets as we go forward. But it's it's been a lot of fun. And it, it takes advantage of our community and our mentorship, our network, our experience, our social proof, all the things that we deliver to the entrepreneurs you don't need to be a 24-year-old computer scientist to benefit from a key introduction or someone sitting down to help you think through the challenges of just how do you pay your rent and how do you keep keep moving forward in a way that, that you're better tomorrow than you are today. Right. I wasn't planning on pursuing this, but it makes me wonder, you must have vision for the future in this too. I mean, even maybe beyond visual art or music, yes, into other areas. I mean, like you're saying, every aspect of commerce or creative endeavors can use this kind of assistance and support, right? Yeah, the way we've, we've been presenting our accelerators, I, my joke is that we skin accelerators like Ray Goose skin spaghetti, that we, we believe there's a lot of different flavors that, that you can do. And as passionate as people are about having, you know, chunky garden vegetable, that we hope they're as passionate about supporting film or fashion or culinary in their communities. So I don't know, you know, if you had told me seven years ago when I was finishing my clerkship that I'd be involved in a program that helps support artists and musicians, I would have told you it was equal odds I'd get dropped on top of a mountain. But it has been so incredibly rewarding. And we encourage every community to think of the challenge for the next 15 to 20 years that as the creative industries become more and more important and kind of the least commoditized component of, of our community's economy, is our community the most passionate about investing into its best and brightest, just its own, much less others? And if not, well, then what does that say that you can anticipate for the next 10 or 20 years of your community's future? So how, if you are desiring to be the most passionate about your community's next generation, how do you create that infrastructure to facilitate that outcome? And I think it requires thinking beyond the scope of a traditional right. support for the ballet or for the museum. How do we identify those emerging artists and make sure they have every chance to succeed like they could in any other community? More than doing a fundraiser. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. So that's very interesting. But of course, you're not just involved on the entrepreneur side and the startup side or the artist side. You're also bringing this other community into the mix too, this this venture community. How does that fit together? How do you do that? 
Yeah. So the idea behind our engagement with the venture community and startups was how do we engage our communities? And that is writ large. So not just Milwaukee or Madison or Minneapolis or Cincinnati, but San Francisco and LA and New York and Boston. How do we engage them in this stream of discussion around different domains? So let's call it InsureTech. How do we make sure that we help facilitate the most efficient and effective marketplace for startups that are seeking, whether it be venture capital or mentorship or board members or venture partners or corporate venture, the relationships best suit them and vice versa for those corporations, for example, or venture capitalists, how do we make Generator the most efficient way of connecting with startups? That's within the context of of our daily startup activities, but also in the course of our corporate programming, a really front and center piece of focus. And to facilitate that, my co-founder Troy and I, we went to a conference about maybe four years ago or five years ago, and we saw all our startup founders there. We saw the same 10 or 15 people presenting. We thought, well, with all of our founders in this, having bought a ticket and seeing these people who they could have you know, seen present on any other Tuesday, for example, getting up to talk, what more could we have done with this convening power and opportunity to make it effective for everyone? And we sat down and we're, I think we were frankly almost sort of, I don't say complaining, but just disappointed with the day. And it's one thing to be disappointed. What would a better model look like? So we came up with the idea that we could get corporations into a building and we picked a stadium because they're interchangeable. We can do different markets and different verticals and the, the format would be the same. What if we just got all the luxury box suites and there's a lot of them in stadiums and put the corporations up in each suite for a day and then it went to all the venture capitalists, all the accelerators, all of our network, all the startups that we could reach out to individually and said, why don't you just apply? And it's free to apply. And if these corporations, they'll see who applies, they'll select their favorite 15 or 20 companies. They'll let us know who it is. If you get selected, why don't you just come for free? And we can facilitate those meetings one-on-one. So we tried it out. We started it in Milwaukee. I wasn't sure if it'd be one and done. And now four or five years later, it's evolved into OnRamp, which is a one-day conference. We run out stadiums. So the upcoming one, April 11th, is at Target Field in Minneapolis. I think we have over 38 insurance carriers participating and over 300 startups who applied. The carriers review those startup applicants. They pick their favorite ones. And just as we described, there's a luxury box format. The companies each get a suite. We arrange anywhere between 10 to 20 one-on-one meetings. And the participating insurers either have to buy from one of the startups, invest in one of the startups, or buy one of the startups' coffee, or they can't come home. So I won't tell you which insurers, but there's one or two that they just didn't have the right attitude and they can't come to our party anymore. But And they just bought coffee, huh? Yeah, yeah, they didn't know. Some of them, they missed it. So we were serious about the coffee, you know? But the second part, while we're all there, you know, there's a lot of people waiting and coming and going. We facilitated more traditional conference programming. So fireside chats, panels, speakers. And we're, we're trying to make that unique. Obviously, there's a lot of programming and in conferences, et cetera. We feel like we're the unique intersection of corporate venture capital startups and thought leaders. So we want to be at that intersection. You know, if I had to say where a conference that Generator throws with OnRamp will feel unique, it's you're going to find a lot of startups there and you're going to find a lot of venture capital there. And hopefully that advantage is of interest to corporations that are thinking about, you know, how does our company, you know, whether it be through product or venture or through financing change in the next 10 or 20 years. So that's where we put our marker and and we're four years into it. Our first insurance conference, I thought we'd get like 100 people and it ended up being, I think, three or 400. Last year, we got over a thousand people who came and it's it was always just, you know, we, we never thought of ourselves as being in the conference business. It was just a chance to do what felt like an evolution of our mission in a way that... Sure, it fit. Right. It fit. Right. 
So we're really proud of it. You know, it's something that we built from the ground up. We're not, you know, you would if you looked at, at kind of the existing players and in insurance, we wouldn't have been on the list four years ago. But we're excited to have an event that, you know, I know has created tens of millions of revenue and financing for startups and facilitated key relationships for insurers. And we don't know where it goes, but we know every year we seem to get everyone coming back again. And it's become a sort of family for us in the last four or five years. And, and I'm grateful for it. Well, that is great. You know, I went last year. I went to OnRamp last year and I wasn't really sure what to expect whenever I got there was in Chicago and it was a great conference and uh, it was at the giant stadium. And you're absolutely right that, that you offer a conference that is fantastic for startups to go meet. But while I was at the conference, I was able to gather all the fireside chats, talk to a lot of different people networking. I didn't even know that some of the meetings were going on upstairs until about halfway through. And then it dawned on me that, wow, this is, this is getting to a whole bunch of different markets all at the same time. I'm getting everything that I need out of it whenever the venture capitalists and the startups are also getting everything out of it. So kudos on that. Thank you. I personally love the fireside chats. I love that there's three different tracks per se that that you can go down and be a part of. You can go to the tracks or you can bounce back and forth. But I loved it last year and I would expect nothing less than the same this year. Well, that makes my day, and, and I can claim absolutely no credit for that. So I know last year's <laughs> conference, Zach Tradeout and, and Claire De Silva planned the conference, and I know that your kind words, especially on the programming, would mean a lot. They put their heart and soul into making sure that, and I, I know this year we've, and last year too, we had uh, Bree and Liv on our team, so it's a group of four who put the events together, and my co-founder, Trent, I can claim absolutely no credit besides just disturbing their daily activities. But the event, they've really, I think, gotten to know the insurance community well, and it's fun for us because we have these questions around, you know, what does the future of InsureTech look like and what's going on with different fundings and how is it that the insurers, the startups, the different venture capitalists are thinking about the change in the industry. So it's been fun to curate that discussion over the last few years. And, and I'm grateful to hear that you've enjoyed it. And I hope, you know, it certainly sets the stage for the next event. But we're, I think we're having as much fun just thinking about what's coming next. And I hope that that shows. And, and again, it was very kind of you to, to say such kind words. And, and hopefully, you'd, similarly, if, you, if you're coming in this year, we'll, we'll do our best to make sure it's a good show. Lee's a kind guy. You should know that. He is a kind guy. Yeah. He is a kind guy. It's free lunch on us, Lee. We got you. Right. I'm the hammer. He's the kind guy. But I have a question for you. So on the venture side at the conference at OnRamp, are there both, you know, straight up VCs as well as corporate venture arms? Or is it limited to just the corporate venture people? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot of venture capitalists. In fact, the idea for the OnRamp Insurance Conference came originally from Rick Zulo, who just moved to his own fund at that, at that point was at LightBank. And Rick's one of the, the best VCs I know. And he said, you guys, InsurTech is going to be a big part of the discussion for the next decade in venture capital. And this was, you know, three years ago, it really was, if you look at the data on, on the financing levels in InsurTech, it was still, it was still elevating from a pretty... Yeah you know, a much lower base than where right. it is now. So looking at the data then, it was sort of, I don't know if, you know, is this, is this a blip or is this really something that we're going to see what has now turned out to be, a, you know, a four to five X increase in terms of the, the dollar and, and volume relative to eight or nine years ago. He really foresaw that and was communicating with a group of venture capitalists at, you know, firms like General Catalyst, for example, that were interested in the space. And we've seen their engagement sustained over the last you know, since we started four years ago, they've they the venture capital community is actively investing at the conference and is is engaged in, in the conference's success. To, to give one profile of that just just going to Rick, we had a panel last year, and I was listening to it, and the person on stage who I didn't know said, "You know, this is the best conference. This is the only conference I go to every year." And I thought, you know, 
gosh, you know, it's our conference, but I, I go to the other ones too. Sure. <laughs> That's even higher. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's great. I don't want to sell it short. It was just, you know, to hear that was, and so I was pleasantly jarred and I came up to him after and I said, well, what, you know, I just want to shake your hand and say, thank you for the nice words and, and maybe learn your context. And he said, I, I met my venture capitalist here who invested. And then two years later, I, um, I sold for nine figures and wow. Rick Zulo had made the investment. So to just go to the point that, you know, not only are they saying we want to be there, but I, I know of both kind of a soup to nut story of, you know, this guy who, who came to the conference as a venture firm investor, invested in a company, and then was able to realize the, the stock appreciation. And likewise, you know, the, the founder who sold for nine figures, I mean, he literally came for free. We bought him lunch. Yeah, I, I bet you did. So I appreciated the kind words. And I, after that, I felt like we earned it, you know, so. So talk to us just for a second. A lot of our audience is from carriers working for carriers. We're, we work mostly on the claim side. A lot of our listeners are on the claim side. But um, explain what corporate venture is and how that's different from venture capital. Yeah, the corporate venturing we've seen increased significantly over the last five or six years. And I'd say it's this last five or six years of the genre of the, of the corporate activity are its own class relative to previous understandings of the term. So I'd, I'm hopeful this definition is contemporary. The corporations are creating innovation, M&A, and venture capital departments, much like they created human resources or marketing departments 20 or 30 years ago. But we haven't seen an emergence of a Harvard business review case study or that level of formalization around the practices like we have in those other departments. And so there's still a, a really wide variation in what people might understand to be corporate venture capital. And I'd say it goes along the spectrum of an informal effort by the company off of its balance or income statement to invest into emerging startups all the way to formally branded, formally allocated, almost satellite operation level of separation from the main company corporate venture arms that have a general partner and invest into emerging startups that are gauged against the performance of that allocated source of capital. So point more applied example, you're seeing some firms that are just, you know, they don't have a venture capital arm, they don't have a venture capital general partner, but they want to make a 500,000 or a million dollar investment in a startup. And they're using internal almost ad hoc teams to pull together the resources to invest in that and pulling from potentially different sources of capital to make that investment all the way to, you know, with, with Allianz or American Family Insurance, you have allocated and Northwestern Mutual, you've allocated funds where there's, you know, a, a formally branded publicly announced venture firm with a dedicated general partner who makes investments, you know, multiple general partners who make investments, you know, against that committed capital. So we've seen it all that informal, all the way to formal presentation of the corporate venture capital market. And they tend to be very strategic, right? Or maybe strategic back to the organization. And again, it goes along that, I think of these corporate venture arms along that spectrum where you have arms where every investment is is not only potentially strategic, but also tied to, let's say, a new emerging layer of insurance or to artificial intelligence that can help increase the efficiency and optimization of their internal processes or you know, IoT that they want to be getting into fields where they might not have a product existing. There's different flavors for how they formalize the theme of the fund. It's kind of multidimensional across genre and category and even layer of the firm's value chain. That is something that I think it really makes bundling this term in SureTech more difficult because you're looking at potentially 15, 20, 25 sticks of different venture themes that are put together to represent InsureTech. So let's talk about InsureTech for a second. You said that the growth has been remarkable. Some of these accelerators that have InsureTech practices, 
They didn't even exist four years ago. And for people who've worked in the industry for a long time, like ourselves, a lot of people in the industry didn't even see it coming. It's this huge wave that's coming through. Why did that happen? Where did it come from? I mean, uh, like I tell the story that sometimes, I mean, as little as 10 or 12 years ago, when we would get a claim, we would literally sometimes get claims on paper 10 or 12 years ago. And so it seems that, you know, the insurance industries may be a little slower to adopt technology, or maybe more risk averse vis-a-vis technology. I mean, why is it going crazy like this? Yeah, it's a great, I mean, I wish I'll give my amateur hour sense of it. And I hope if anybody thinks, no, 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 that's something else, please my email is joe at generator. And I think about that question a fair amount. So please email me and I'm happy to stand corrected. And I'll send a follow-up email to you guys on it. The sense I get for it is that venture turns to industries and chapters. So following InsureTech, the next industry that took off somewhat similarly with supply chain and logistics. And our best guess is that the next one will be in manufacturing. But now that I'm speculating, and, and I was as surprised to learn about the sequential nature of venture's attention. And I kind of learned it, frankly, through InsureTech. It is jarring as you look at the volume and size of the deals going into the insurance industry, how much it went from a baseline that it looks like a hockey stick in terms of the venture engagement and activity in InsureTech. My guess of what played out is that the industry looks at the rest of the industry. And so as soon as one or two or three players in the space right move it almost turns the herd and you can go from you know a very if you imagine a herd kind of resting in the savannah to all of a sudden stampeding they can go in that sense of change where the insure tech herd felt like it was just sort of at rest and then all of a sudden started stampeding and it was following the lead of two or three players in the market who had a sense that because of of a series of contextual changes in technology and distribution, it was time to begin thinking about what the next generation of their business model looked like. That's my guess on how the industry suddenly went from so, I don't say cold, but relatively flat to suddenly volatile in terms of the volume. Right. And I, if I had to guess, it's probably reached somewhat of a, I don't want to say flat line, but it's reached the new status quo for, you know, who knows how long it'll last, but for the indefinite, you know, next two or three, four or five years, I anticipate we'll stay about this volume of venture activity in part because the herd has moved and now we have new infrastructure and new firms and new committed capital and, you know, the pace of digital change isn't slowing. So that's my guess on what it occurred. And if I had to say who, who comes to mind in the space, you know, I think American Family Insurance, who we, we work with, moved very early to formalize their venture firm. And they were, you know, I think, pretty early in the space. And two or three firms like theirs were probably the ones that caught the attention of the industry and suddenly became, you know, one or two to a board level discussion for five or 10 to a board level discussion for 25 to 50. And that, you know, kind of fed into its own narrative at some point. Well, you know, I like that. That's the first time I've ever actually heard it explained that way. Yeah, really interesting idea. Thanks. I agree. I mean, great visual too. Yeah, but it totally makes sense, doesn't it? And I would imagine I'm starting to think about other industries. Yeah, I would imagine that the historics work out that way. Wow. So, you know, make Give us a little insight, you know, what are companies interested in, in, in purchasing or buying or investing in? Are there certain certain items or certain things in the insured tech world that are more 
popular than others. And this and this goes a little bit to your previous question. You know, the insurers are operating off of balance sheet assets, where a lot of the different industries are really more income statement or in, you know the capital expenditures is more in the physical plan assets and less in a sort of commodity pool of cash that could be moved from one line in a balance sheet to another. So we're we're seeing the insurers actively investing at a pace that's sort of unrivaled in the parallel industries, which makes the answer to your question much wider than it would be in different contexts because you have everything from you know sort of the the data layer of gathering to you know artificial and so it's it's connected things and drones and claims technology you know things that help improve the insurer's ability to consume data and informing its activities to the the product layer where you have uh, you know my friend one of my closest friends in the industry is, is Kyle Nagasuchi at Clearcover and Kyle will talk your ear off all day about how he intends to disrupt the property and casualty market for car insurance in California to the artificial intelligence layer. What's, if, what's interesting across the on-ramps, you know, we run them in healthcare and in manufacturing and we've done one in retail. The most consistent outcome for an on-ramp conference when the companies receive the list of applicants is that the artificial intelligence companies rise to the top. So the commonly requested meeting is with an AI-enabled startup, and uh, I think it speaks to, you know, where I, I think the easiest point of entry for an insurer to begin engaging with InsureTech is across the data lakes that they're increasingly putting together inside of their company and the legacy systems that you know some SAP implementation left in place ten or fifteen years ago that they know that there's you know just implementing a twenty or thirty mile an hour artificial intelligence solution is as much about putting it, the data in as it is about figuring out what to do out. And so we think that that's still another 24 or 36 months of, you know, sort of the easiest point of entry furniture to begin engaging with insure tech. But it's that wide in terms of, you know, connected doorbells to AI. Yeah, we see it on the claims side too. I mean, we see AI tools coming in to oh, help yeah. with the claims work. And it's certainly the term that we hear the most in our shopping, if you will. Well, yeah, I always hear the insurance companies and a lot of the care, you know, they're always talking about how they're gathering the data. We're bringing it all in. We're just, as you said, lakes of data. I understand how they need the AI to sort through it, that everybody says, okay, I'm getting the data. I've got the data. Now, what do I do with it? So that's pretty interesting to be the I'll always rise to the top. What what about at this year's conference? Do we have any AI companies to look forward to seeing or speaking at, perhaps? Yeah, we do. Yeah. So the agenda, if you go to onrampinsuranceconference.com, we have the agenda. And you know, the two keynote speakers we're, we're really proud to work with are the CEOs of Securion and Allianz. And, and frankly, I anticipate them both touching on that subject. And then you're going to be seeing that throughout the conference. It's such a it's interesting with, you know, I, I say this about computer science as well, that it travels into so many other disciplines that answering that question is sort of particularly difficult because it's as much its own headline as it is a function of every other headline you're going to see at the conference. But I'd say at least probably a third of the the panels and discussions are going to be significantly touching on on artificial intelligence and you know there's the one I'm keynoting is is with Dan Reed and uh, not keynoting but I'm moderating is with Dan Reed the head of American Family Ventures and Kyle's panel and so obviously I'll push my own panel that I put on the agenda to the front but you know we're talking with Kyle what was that matter where we're talking with Dan and Kyle about what impact does it have Kyle's story for example he worked at American Family Insurance worked with Dan and then spun out of the ventures team to create his own startup and has now raised tens of millions in the span 
span of just 24 months, essentially introducing a new product into the property and casualty market. And I can talk with him without any trouble about using artificial intelligence to better understand his pricing. So it tells you how frictionless the introduction of artificial intelligence into the business model of almost every part of the insure tech stack is right now. Right. Which makes it less scary, less threatening, less intimidating, less of a big project. Right. And on the flip side, it's also, it makes you, it's like, man, where does artificial intelligence go in the next 24 to 36 months? It's the way Kyle described it to me is it's not going to be like a bus pulling up to pick you up and then driving slowly away. It's going to be like a speed train that, you know, it's behind you until it's in front of you. <laughs> and so I think that, that that really speaks to how top of mind the AI discussion has become, you know, at these insurers within their venture investments and certainly within the broader venture community. One last question on OnRamp. It's one day. That's aggressive. Why is it only one day? Um, it's partially for all of our mental health. <laughs> That's a great answer. Yeah, it. Uh, hopefully I'm in good company and it, it, we can all self-deprecate a little. My joke to everyone else is if anybody ever wants to watch Paint Dry, they should come to our insurance event. So we try to keep it, you know, we try to put as much of the really great content in there in those five or six hours that engage people and so it doesn't begin feeling more stretched out. The second part is it's a really great concentrating tools so that we can get, especially the startups, you know, if you're going to a two, three, four day event, it's harder for a startup to carve out, you know, two, three, four days. Again, the center of gravity for us in introducing the conference was to be the best community of startups that we could pull together to present to the insure tech community. And so that one day format really lends itself to it. And then we do a VIP dinner the night before. So if you register and you're interested, please let us know and we'll leave a room and we'll gladly make the opportunity available. But it gives us sort of, we come together and it facilitates a wide audience coming in. And after four or five years, we've all gotten to know each other. So it feels like the, about the right amount of time to catch up and see each other and see what's going on, but also not kind of disturb the workflows of everyone at the event. So I'm, I love the format. It does you know, offer a point of contrast, I know, to some other programs. But if anybody gives it to try, I think, I think they'd enjoy it. That's really pretty funny, your comment about watching paint dry. It is pretty interesting. I hadn't thought about it before that people go to an insurance conference and probably, you know, for the most part, really geek out and get really excited. And there's very high energy. Like we were at InsurTech at ITC this year. And I mean, the energy was super, super high. It's an insurance conference, folks. But uh, if you're inside of it, it's one view. Yeah, yeah we, were, we were joking with Jay about it. I think they had Pete Rose signing they baseball. Did, yeah. Man, I, don't, I, I don't know how we compete with Pete Rose <laughs> signing a baseball, you know? And it's very experiential, which we know that those guys. And uh, we jokingly tell them that they can be homecoming and will be prom, and that's <laughs> fine. There you go. Everybody has a role. Yeah, and, you know, part of it, I think, is part of it, just frankly, if I had to confess, some of it is personality of Troy and myself, our company, and probably we've infused it a little bit too much into the product itself, is we're very functional. You know, we want to be, we have a goal, we have a mission with the event. It's that connectivity and the networking side of it. And we're less, just we're Midwesterners. We, as we were joking, we were flannel and, you know, it's, it's got that part of our personality built into it. So we will not, unfortunately, be having Pete Rose signing baseballs, but it's still, I, if you give it a try, it's very product heavy and very technology. And as I said, you know, startup and venture and corporate focus. So I think it does a really nice job of owning its lane, but I'll confess again, going to that high energy part of it, it's something I think we want to we try to build a little bit more into and you know it, it, my joke is we run an art program and our walls have no art so it really <laughs> I think it speaks to the the generator ethos which is it's you know it's a hustle house and what can we do in, in a short amount of time to create the most value and we want to be up front with the brand and the position on it but we do have some fun so I don't want to write it all off but no Pete Rose no no I, I loved it last year but also you got to think right it, it's the uh, stadiums that bring a lot of fun to it anyway so it's a great great venue 
I have one last question I want to ask you before we go, and that's about something that you touched on very briefly, but that's Project North, which I read about on your website and I've heard about, like I said. Well, you gave us a quick preview on Project North. That seems like a really valuable thing. And I mean, not only do you guys meet, you travel together to take trips. I mean, it's it sounds like kind of a club of like-minded people. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, thank you for the question. Yeah, we started, and it really is a partner entity to OnRamp. We started four years ago. Was, the idea was, hey, could we create a group for this emerging corporate venture and innovation and venture and M&A practices to get together for those peer learnings? And what more could we offer beyond peer learning? So we thought, well, they, you know, these corporate partners, they want to see startups. Well, let's create a format like OnRamp to do that. But what they want to meet other ecosystems. So it started off as one trip a year for Badgers on a Plane when we were four corporations in Wisconsin. Now we're 48 participating Project North members across eight states. And we've renamed it to Executives on a Plane. So our corporateness is coming out. But the idea is we go on these trips where we tour ecosystems. So we just did Austin where we went and and met the tech ecosystem there. We met with the South by Southwest programming team. We met with the different startups and venture firms. We did Boston, MIT Media Lab and Bain Capital and Accenture. There's really two points to those trips. It's a great way to meet these markets. And then second, it's a great way for the members to to get a chance to know each other outside of traditional context. But as a result of the on-ramps and the quarterly dinners and the trips, that's become a group of friends that is fun to work with. And then for us, the benefit is, you know, as we're building this on-ramp insurance program with Allianz and Securian, when a company comes in to work with us, that exposes them to a range of, I think we have over 12 insurers in the group. But we also have 10 manufacturers and companies like Boston Scientific and Harley Davidson and Capital Records. It gives us such a backbone to help support our companies. So I'm I'm personally grateful to all the members. And you'll see that, you know, for a lot of the insurers who are coming to OnRamp, those are insurers who we now have developed year-long relationships with through Project North. And it's been a lot of fun. And and frankly, I think if I had to write a book about it, I'd say the biggest learnings for me have been how so many of the discussions across industries are the same discussion in a different wrapper. And that, that's that been fascinating to see. Isn't that interesting? That's a great piece of learning, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, a, a manufacturer and an insurance venture capitalist talking together would, I think, find far more in common than they might ever anticipate. <laughs> and it's been fun. It's uh-huh. been fun to see that exact discussion. So uh, real learning. Yeah. It's like my grandfather used to say, Business is business. <laughs> and I think he's right. But um, yeah, because next week we're going to have Ted Stuckey on the program from QB Ventures. Well, I have a wonderful Ted Stuckey story. Oh, please tell. We had an associate who worked at Generator and we offered him a job. And he said, you know, I'm so honored and I have to turn it down because I'm going to pursue my lifelong dream in music. And I thought, oh, I had no idea you even played music, much less that you're going full time. But I, I'm thrilled and you know, I was surprised, but it was, he was clearly passionate about it. And it was good to see him pursuing his passion. And, and that was that. He moved on and didn't hear from him until Ted called. And Ted said, I've been listening to this musician all day. And I looked him up and he worked at Generator. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And he said, have you heard of Young Gravy? I said, I have not heard of Young Gravy. And it turned out that our young associate turned into a a sort of uh, hip hop star called Young Gravy, which is a a bit of a parody. 
but he's turned into a legitimate artist with a big following and Ted's a fan. So when you talk to Ted, uh, he was the one who, who identified that he's the young gravy fan. And I would be just thrilled to listen to your podcast and hear Ted get a chance to talk about his appreciation for wonderful music. We'll have to do a little homework on young gravy. Full disclosure. Yeah. The more I promise you, if you guys take a look and if any of your listeners take a look, I hope I anticipate they'll have a good sense of humor about just how, our quiet, low-key associate became a, a national celebrity is as shocking to us as what they might see. But it's been, you know, tongue-in-cheek, a lot of fun, and Ted had a lot of fun with it. So I thought it might be a good way to to get him talking and maybe a little out of his comfort zone. That's a great story, and I just want you to know, I can say this definitively. We've we've done this is maybe the twenty-fifth or so uh, episode that we've done. And it's the first time that Young Gravy has ever been mentioned by name. So we appreciate that. That's true. But it might not be the last. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It's the startup people who work with the musicians who did it. And I hope you guys all get a good laugh out of it. And I uh, appreciate the good humor of a, of a good Ted story. Totally. And listen, we've used up more than your time than we expected. And we apologize for that. But we're, we can't begin to express how grateful we are for you making the time. And we encourage everybody out there to check out OnRamp. If you have the opportunity to go and attend, it sounds like a, an amazing event. And we hope that we can speak with you at some time in the future if you're open to that. Yeah, please do. I look forward to it. It was a lot of fun talking to you both. And thank you to having me on. And whoever has made it to the end of this heard me out for this long. Thank you for sticking with it and a uh, pleasure to talk. Sure. And I, I just want to add one thing. And that is, is that Joe is an incredibly generous guy. And he probably wouldn't want me to say this, but um, we reach out to several people and ask them if they'll be on our podcast. And many people are generous and say yes. And some people say, don't even answer me. But Joe got right back to me and was really willing. And I know we're just a few weeks in front of OnRamp and he made the time and the space to do this. And so uh, we're especially grateful based on the time of year. And we thank you again. Thank you very much, Joe. Oh, it was a pleasure. And again, it was kind of you to, to consider having me on and, and had a lot of fun. And again, I'm hopeful to I'll have to meet if you guys are there. I'm looking forward to, to meeting in person and, and regardless, hope to cross paths soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being a part. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. What a generous, nice man he was. Just a genuine, nice guy. Yeah. You know, just nice. Yeah. I mean, all of us are capitalists and we're all into that, but you get the feeling from different degrees from people, the different degrees where they are on that scale of capitalists, like I'm just in it for the money right. at one end and the true altruist at the other. And I really had the sense that he's really about community, about building something that's not just for his own benefit, but for the benefit of the world that he works in. Yeah, well, I mean, he said it right out, you know, locals investing in locals, locals helping locals, helping your local, your local entrepreneurs really make something of themselves. Just, you know, I he, he has a vision mm -hmm. and uh, they're, they're really seeing it through. Mm -hmm. I, I like how he talked about how they started with just one thing and that's what they planned on it being. And now he's into all these other ventures. Yeah. And, you know, we're not telling anybody something they don't know already in that InsureTech is hot. It's right. white hot, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And how, for those of us who have been in the industry, it, it, it didn't come out of nowhere, of course, but it's been slowly emerging. But the pace that it's gotten to, he used the measure four or five X. 
That's that's absolutely right. Right. I loved how he described the actual insured tech, and we haven't heard it described that way. His herd uh, analogy. Exactly how, you know, one or two players might have been in the space, and then all of a sudden it just goes like a wildfire throughout. And, you know, historically you start thinking back, yeah, that that's the same, you know, one or two players, and then all of a sudden here comes the money or the, the thoughts or the thinkers, and it just grows. But I did like how he thought that, you know, it will be around for a while. So I thought that was a good thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fascinating program. They have lots of things going on, not the least of which is OnRamp. Yeah. OnRamp, you know, I really enjoyed it. In fact, you know, it was, oh, I guess it was two weeks ago, you had asked me, you know, what did I like about OnRamp last year? And, you know, I really had an opportunity to think about it. And I like how it's, you know, one day, it's a quick in, quick out. I liked how I was able to go as somebody who wanted to learn about AI and about different paths and what insurance companies are doing, I was able to sit through these fireside chats and learn from some of the most interesting people. Ted Stuckey is one from the uh, QBE's venture side. Uh, Adam Kostecki with Amika was there. I was able to hear him. And their lectures and discussions that they had actually stick with me one year later. So, you know, I I think you can go and learn a lot of stuff that that you're going to take with you uh, for at least a year or more to come. Right. We're super grateful to Joe for being with us today. And we can't encourage people enough to check out OnRamp and to attend. I mean, it doesn't, you certainly, as you said, you don't have to be on the venture side to get a lot out of it. You don't, you don't. And, you know, OnRamp's coming up April 11th. It is there in Minnesota at the Target Center in in Minneapolis. And, uh, you know, I recommend giving it a look. Okay, Podcast World, we thank you for being with us once again, and uh, we're going to give the airwaves back to you now. And until next time... Maybe they can go on and listen to uh, some uh, Young Gravy. Maybe they can hear some Young Gravy. That's what we'll be listening to. That's right. And uh, you all uh, have a good week, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Gravy make a splash like Pippin.